Book 18, Chapter 5, and Chapter 6, Part 1 of The Antiquities of the Jews, Volume 4. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. The Antiquities of the Jews, Volume 4, by Flavius Josephus. Translated by William Whiston. Book 18, Chapter 5, and Chapter 6, Part 1. Chapter 5. Herod the Tetrarch makes war with Aradus, the king of Arabia, and is beaten by him, as also concerning the death of John the Baptist. How Vitellius went up to Jerusalem, together with some account of Agrippa and of the posterity of Herod the Great. About this time Aradus, the king of Arabia Petris, and Herod had a quarrel on the account following. Herod the Tetrarch had married the daughter of Aratus, and had lived with her a great while. But when he was once at Rome, he lodged with Herod, who was his brother indeed, but not by the same mother. For this Herod was the son of the high priest Syrio's daughter. However, he fell in love with Herodias, this last Herod's wife, who was the daughter of Aristobulus their brother, and the sister of Agrippa the Great. This man ventured to talk to her about a marriage between them, which address, when she admitted, an agreement was made for her to change her habitation, and come to him as soon as he should return from Rome. One article of this marriage also was this, that he should divorce Aratus's daughter. So Antipas, when he had made this agreement, sailed to Rome. But when he had done there the business he went about, and was returned again, his wife having discovered the agreement he had made with Herodias, and having learned it before he had notice of her knowledge of the whole design, she desired him to send her to Maturus, which is a place on the borders of the dominions of Aratus and Herod, without informing him of any of her intentions. Accordingly Herod sent her thither, as thinking his wife had not perceived anything. Now she had sent a good while before to Maturus, which was subject to her father, and so all things necessary for her journey were made ready for her by the general of Aratus's army. And by that means she soon came into Arabia under the conduct of the several generals, who carried her from one to another successively. And she soon came to her father, and told him of Herod's intentions. So Aratus made this the first occasion of his enmity between him and Herod, who had also some quarrel with him about their limits at the country of Gamalitus. So they raised armies on both sides, and prepared for war, and sent their generals to fight instead of themselves. And when they had joined battle, all Herod's army was destroyed by the treachery of some fugitives, who, though they were of the tetrarchy of Philip, joined with Aratus's army. So Herod wrote about these affairs to Tiberius, who being very angry at the attempt made by Aratus, wrote to Vitellius to make war upon him, and either to take him alive, or bring him to him in bonds, or to kill him and send him his head. This was the charge that Tiberius gave to the president of Syria. Now some of the Jews thought that the destruction of Herod's army came from God, and that very justly, as a punishment of what he did against John that was called the Baptist. For Herod slew him who was a good man, and commanded the Jews to exercise virtue, both as to righteousness toward one another, and piety towards God, and so to come to baptism. 
for that the washing with water would be acceptable to him if they made use of it, not in order to the putting away or the remission of some sins only, but for the purification of the body, supposing still that the soul was thoroughly purified beforehand by righteousness. Now when many others came in crowds about him, for they were greatly moved or pleased by hearing his words, Herod, who feared lest the great influence John had over the people might put it into his power and inclination to raise a rebellion, for they seemed ready to do anything he should advise, thought it best by putting him to death to prevent any mischief he might cause, and not bring himself into difficulties by sparing a man who might make him repent of it when it would be too late. Accordingly he was sent a prisoner, out of Herod's suspicious temper, to Maturus, the castle I before mentioned, and was there put to death. Now the Jews had an opinion that the destruction of this army was sent as a punishment upon Herod, and a mark of God's displeasure to him. So Vitellius prepared to make war with Aretas, having with him two legions of armed men. He also took with him all those of light armature, and of the horsemen which belonged to them, and were drawn out of those kingdoms which were under the Romans, and made haste for Petra, and came to Ptolemais. But as he was marching very busily, and leading his army through Judea, the principal men met him, and desired that he would not thus march through their land, for that the laws of their country would not permit them to overlook those images which were brought into it, of which there were a great many in their ensigns. So he was persuaded by what they said, and changed that resolution of his which he had taken in this matter. Whereupon he ordered the army to march along the great plain, while he himself, with Herod the Tetrarch and his friends, went up to Jerusalem to offer sacrifice to God, an ancient festival of the Jews being then just approaching. And when he had been there, and been honorably entertained by the multitude of the Jews, he made a stay there for three days, within which time he deprived Jonathan of the high priesthood, and gave it to his brother Theophilus. But when on the fourth day letters came to him, which informed him of the death of Tiberius, he obliged the multitude to take an oath of fidelity to Caius. He also recalled his army, and made them every one go home, and take their winter quarters there, since upon the devolution of the empire upon Caius, he had not the like authority of making this war which he had before. It was also reported that when Aretas heard of the coming of Vitellius to fight him, he said, upon his consulting the diviners, that it was impossible that this army of Vitellius's would enter Petra, for that one of the rulers would die, either he that gave orders for the war, or he that was marching at the other's desire, in order to be subservient to his will, or else against whom this army is prepared. So Vitellius truly retired to Antioch, but Agrippa, the son of Aristobulus, went up to Rome, a year before the death of Tiberius, in order to treat of some affairs with the emperor, if he might be permitted so to do. I have now a mind to describe Herod and his family, how it fared with them, partly because it is suitable to this history to speak of that matter, and partly because this thing is a demonstration of the interposition of providence, how a multitude of children is of no advantage, no more than any other strength that mankind sets their hearts upon, besides those acts of piety which are done towards God. For it happened that, 
within the revolution of a hundred years, the posterity of Herod, which were a great many in number, were, excepting a few, utterly destroyed. One may well apply this for the instruction of mankind, and learn thence how unhappy they were. It will also show us the history of Agrippa, who, as he was a person most worthy of admiration, so was he from a private man, beyond all the expectation of those that knew him, advanced to great power and authority. I have said something of them formerly, but I shall now also speak accurately about them. Herod the Great had two daughters by Mariamne, the granddaughter of Hyrcanus. The one was Salampsio, who was married to Phasaelus, her first cousin, who was himself the son of Phasaelus, Herod's brother, her father making the match. The other was Cypros, who was herself married also to her first cousin Antipater, the son of Salome, Herod's sister. Phasaelus had five children by Salampsio, Antipater, Herod, and Alexander, and two daughters, Alexandra and Cypros, which last Agrippa, the son of Aristobulus, married. And Timius of Cyprus married Alexandra, he was a man of note, but had by her no children. Agrippa had by Cypros two sons and three daughters, which daughters were named Bernice, Mariamne, and Drusius. But the names of the sons were Agrippa and Drusus, of which Drusus died before he came to the years of puberty. But their father, Agrippa, was brought up with his other brethren, Herod and Aristobulus, for these were also the sons of the son of Herod the Great by Bernice. But Bernice was the daughter of Costaborus and of Salome, who was Herod's sister. Aristobulus left these infants when he was slain by his father, together with his brother Alexander, as we have already related. But when they were arrived at years of puberty, this Herod, the brother of Agrippa, married Mariamne, the daughter of Olympias, who was the daughter of Herod the king, and of Joseph, the son of Joseph, who was the brother to Herod the king, and had by her a son, Aristobulus. But Aristobulus, the third brother of Agrippa, married Jatape, the daughter of Sampsiguramus, king of Amasa. They had a daughter who was deaf, whose name also was Jatape. And these hitherto were the children of the male line. But Herodias, their sister, was married to Herod, Philip, the son of Herod the Great, who was born of Mariamne, the daughter of Simon the high priest, who had a daughter Salome, after whose birth Herodias took upon her to confound the laws of our country, and divorced herself from her husband while he was alive, and was married to Herod Antipas, her husband's brother by the father's side, he was tetrarch of Galilee. But her daughter Salome was married to Philip, the son of Herod, and tetrarch of Trachonitis. And as he died childless, Aristobulus, the son of Herod, the brother of Agrippa, married her. They had three sons, Herod, Agrippa, and Aristobulus. And this was the posterity of Phasaelus and Salampsio. But the daughter of Antipater by Cypros was Cypros, whom Alexis Celsius, the son of Alexis, married. They had a daughter, Cypros, but Herod and Alexander, who, as we told you, were the brothers of Antipater, died childless. As to Alexander, the son of Herod the king, who was slain by his father, he had two sons, Alexander and Tigranes, by the daughter of Archelaus, king of Cappadocia. Tigranes, who was king of Armenia, 
was accused at Rome and died childless. Alexander had a son of the same name with his brother Tigranes, and was sent to take possession of the kingdom of Armenia by Nero. He had a son, Alexander, who married Jatape, the daughter of Antiochus, the king of Commagena. Vespasian made him king of an island in Cilicia. But these descendants of Alexander, soon after their birth, deserted the Jewish religion, and went over to that of the Greeks. But for the rest of the daughters of Herod the king, it happened that they died childless. And as these descendants of Herod, whom we have enumerated, were in being at the same time that Agrippa the Great took the kingdom, and I have now given an account of them, it now remains that I relate the several hard fortunes which befell Agrippa, and how he got clear of them, and was advanced to the greatest height of dignity and power. CHAPTER six OF THE NAVIGATION OF KING AGRIPPA TO ROME, TO TIBERIUS CAESAR, AND HOW UPON HIS BEING ACCUSED BY HIS OWN FREEDMAN, HE WAS BOUND, ALSO HOW HE WAS SET AT LIBERTY BY CAIUS, AFTER TIBERIUS'S DEATH, AND WAS MADE KING OF THE TETRARCHY OF PHILIP. Little before the death of Herod the king, Agrippa lived at Rome, and was generally brought up and conversed with Drusus, the emperor Tiberius's son, and contracted a friendship with Antonia, the wife of Drusus the Great, who had his mother Bernice in great esteem, and was very desirous of advancing her son. Now as Agrippa was by nature magnanimous and generous in the presence he made, while his mother was alive, this inclination of his mind did not appear that he might be able to avoid her anger for such his extravagance. But when Bernice was dead, and he was left to his own conduct, he spent a great deal extravagantly in his daily way of living, and a great deal in the immoderate presents he made, and those chiefly among Caesar's freedmen, in order to gain their assistance, insomuch that he was, in a little time, reduced to poverty, and could not live at Rome any longer. Tiberius also forbade the friends of his deceased son to come into his sight, because on seeing them he should be put in mind of his son, and his grief would thereby be revived. For these reasons he went away from Rome and sailed to Judea, but in evil circumstances, being dejected with the loss of that money which he once had, and because he had not wherewithal to pay his creditors, who were many in number, and such as gave no room for escaping them. Whereupon he knew not what to do. So, for shame of his present condition, he retired to a certain tower at Malatha, in Idumea, and had thoughts of killing himself. But his wife Cypros perceived his intentions, and tried all sorts of methods to divert him from his taking such a course. So she sent a letter to his sister Herodias, who was now the wife of Herod the Tetrarch, and let her know Agrippa's present design, and what necessity it was which drove him thereto, and desired her, as a kinswoman of his, to give him her help, and to engage her husband to do the same, since she saw how she alleviated these her husband's troubles all she could, although she had not the like wealth to do it withal. So they sent for him, and allotted him Tiberius for his habitation, and appointed him some income of money for his maintenance, and made him a magistrate of that city, by way of honour to him. Yet did not Herod long continue in that resolution of supporting him, though even that support was not sufficient for him. 
for as once they were at a feast at Tyre, and in their cups, and reproaches were cast upon one another, Agrippa thought that was not to be borne, while Herod hit him in the teeth with his poverty, and with his owing his necessary food to him. So he went to Flaccus, one that had been consul, and had been a very great friend to him at Rome formerly, and was now president of Syria. Hereupon Flaccus received him kindly, and he lived with him. Flaccus had also with him there Aristobulus, who was indeed Agrippa's brother, but was at variance with him. Yet did not their enmity to one another hinder the friendship of Flaccus to them both, but still they were honorably treated by him. However, Aristobulus did not abate of his ill-will to Agrippa, till at length he brought him to ill terms with Flaccus. The occasion of bringing him on which estrangement was this. The Damascans were at difference with the Sidonians about their limits, and when Flaccus was sent to hear the cause between them, they understood that Agrippa had a mighty influence upon him. So they desired that he would be of their side, and for that favor promised him a great deal of money. So he was zealous in assisting the Damascans as far as he was able. Now Aristobulus had gotten intelligence of this promise of money to him, and accused him to Flaccus of the same. And when, upon a thorough examination of the matter, it appeared plainly so to be, he rejected Agrippa out of the number of his friends. So he was reduced to the utmost necessity, and came to Ptolemais, and because he knew not where else to get a livelihood, he thought to sail to Italy, but as he was restrained from so doing by want of money, he desired Marcius, who was his freedman, to find some method for procuring him so much as he wanted for that purpose, by borrowing such a sum from some person or other. So Marcius desired of Peter, who was the freedman of Bernice, Agrippa's mother, and by the right of her testament was bequeathed to Antonia, to lend so much upon Agrippa's own bond and security. But he accused Agrippa of having defrauded him of certain sums of money, and so obliged Marcius, when he made the bond of twenty thousand Attic drachmae, to accept of twenty-five hundred drachma as less than what he desired, which the other allowed of, because he could not help it. Upon the receipt of this money Agrippa came to Anthedon, and took shipping, and was going to set sail. But Herennius Capito, who was the procurator of Jamis, sent a band of soldiers to demand of him three hundred thousand drachmae of silver, which were by him owing to Caesar's treasury while he was at Rome, and so forced him to stay. He then pretended that he would do as he bid him, but when night came on, he cut his cables and went off, and sailed to Alexandria, where he desired Alexander the Alabarch to lend him two hundred thousand drachmae, but he said he would not lend it to him, but would not refuse it to Cypros, as greatly astonished at her affection to her husband, and at the other instances of her virtue. So she undertook to repay it. Accordingly, Alexander paid them five talents at Alexandria, and promised to pay them the rest of that sum at Dysarchia, Puteoli. And this he did out of the fear he was in that Agrippa would soon spend it. So this Cypros set her husband free, and dismissed him to go on with his navigation to Italy, while she and her children departed for Judea. And now Agrippa was come to Puteoli, whence he wrote a letter to Tiberius Caesar, who then lived at Capriae, and told him that he was come so far in order to wait on him, and to pay him a visit. 
and desired that he would give him leave to come over to Caprian. So Tiberius made no difficulty, but wrote to him in an obliging way in other respects, and withal told him he was glad of his safe return, and desired him to come to Capriae. And when he was come, he did not fail to treat him as kindly as he had promised him in his letter to do. But the next day came a letter to Caesar from Herennius Capito, to inform him that Agrippa had borrowed three hundred thousand drachmae, and had not paid it at the time appointed. But when it was demanded of him, he ran away like a fugitive, out of the places under his government, and put it out of his power to get the money of him. When Caesar had read this letter, he was much troubled at it, and gave order that Agrippa should be excluded from his presence until he had paid that debt, upon which he was no way daunted at Caesar's anger, but entreated Antonia, the mother of Germanicus and of Claudius, who was afterward Caesar himself, to lend him those three hundred thousand drachmae, that he might not be deprived of Tiberius's friendship. So, out of regard to the memory of Bernice his mother, for those two women were very familiar with one another, and out of regard to his and Claudius's education together, she lent him the money, and upon the payment of this debt there was nothing to hinder Tiberius's friendship to him. After this, Tiberius Caesar recommended to him his grandson, and ordered that he should always accompany him when he went abroad. But upon Agrippa's kind reception by Antonia, he betook him to pay his respects to Caius, who was her grandson and in very high reputation by reason of the good will they bear his father. Now there was one Thallus, a freedman of Caesar, of whom he borrowed a million of drachmae, and thence repaid Antonia the debt he owed her, and by sending the overplus in paying his court to Caius, became a person of great authority with him. Now as the friendship which Agrippa had for Caius was come to a great height, there happened some words to pass between them, as they once were in a chariot together, concerning Tiberius, Agrippa praying to God, for they two sat by themselves, that Tiberius might soon go off the stage, and leave the government to Caius, who was in every respect more worthy of it. Now Eutychus, who was Agrippa's freedman, and drove his chariot, heard these words, and at that time said nothing of them. But when Agrippa accused him of stealing some garments of his, which was certainly true, he ran away from him. But when he was caught, and brought before Piso, who was governor of the city, and the man was asked why he ran away, he replied that he had somewhat to say to Caesar that tended to his security and preservation. So Piso bound him and sent him to Capriae. But Tiberius, according to his usual custom, kept him still in bonds, being a delayer of affairs, if ever there was any other king or tyrant that was so. For he did not admit ambassadors quickly, and no successors were dispatched away to governors or procurators of the provinces that had been formerly sent, unless they were dead. Whence it was that he was so negligent in hearing the causes of prisoners, insomuch that when he was asked by his friends what was the reason of his delay in such cases, he said that he delayed to hear ambassadors, lest, upon their quick dismission, other ambassadors should be appointed, and return upon him, and so he should bring trouble upon himself in their public reception and dismission, that he permitted those governors, who had been sent once to their government, to stay there a long while, out of regard to the subjects that were under them. 
for that all governors were naturally disposed to get as much as they can, and that those who are not to fix there, but to stay a short time, and that at an uncertainty, when they shall be turned out, do the more severely hurry themselves on to fleece the people. But if their government be long continued to them, they are at last satiated with the spoils, as having gotten a vast deal, and so become at length less sharp in their pillaging. But that if successors were sent quickly, the poor subjects who were exposed to them as a prey would not be able to bear the new ones, while they shall not have the same time allowed them wherein their predecessors had filled themselves, and so grew more unconcerned about getting more. And this because they were removed before they have had time for their oppressions. He gave them an example to show his meaning. A great number of flies came about the sore places of a man that had been wounded, upon which one of the standers-by pitied the man's misfortune, and thinking he was not able to drive those flies away himself, was going to drive them away for him. But he prayed him to let them alone. The other, by way of reply, asked him the reason of such a preposterous proceeding, in preventing relief from his present misery. To which he answered, If thou drivest these flies away, thou wilt hurt me worse, for as these are already full of my blood, they do not crowd about me, nor pain me so much as before, but are somewhat more remiss, while the fresh ones that come almost famished, and find me quite tired down already, will be my destruction. For this cause, therefore, it is that I am myself careful not to send such new governors perpetually to those my subjects, who are already sufficiently harassed by many oppressions, as may, like these flies, further distress them, and so, besides their natural desire of gain, may have this additional enticement to it, that they expect to be suddenly deprived of that pleasure which they take in it. And, as a further attestation to what I say of the dilatory nature of Tiberius, I appeal to this his practice itself. For although he was emperor twenty-two years, he sent in all but two procurators to govern the nation of the Jews, Gratus and his successor in the government, Pilate. Nor was he in one way of acting with respect to the Jews, and in another with respect to the rest of his subjects. He further informed them, that even in the hearing of the causes of prisoners, he made such delays, because immediate death to those that must be condemned to die would be an alleviation of their present miseries while those wicked wretches have not deserved any such favour. But I do it that, by being harassed with the present calamity, they may undergo greater misery. End, quote. End of Book 18, Chapter 5, and Chapter 6, Part 1